Yeah, but last week I kept, the Lord kept talking to me about time. And so, and I wasn't, I wasn't aware that the, uh, that this past Friday was going to be when the court released their decision. But the, the days leading up to it, the Lord kept speaking to me about he, like he, in my time of the Lord, I heard say, I make everything beautiful in this time. I make everything perfect in this time. I make everything perfect in this time. And then um, the story about the man that was at the, the gate called Beautiful that, that Peter healed. This man was healed by Peter. But Jesus had this place, this beautiful gate, Jesus had passed by this place many hundreds of times in his ministry. And everybody knew who this guy was. He'd been there his whole, he was an adult, I mean, 40 years. And then Peter comes along and it's, and that word beautiful means the right time. He, he was past, he was at the right time gate. <laughs> and that's what they waited for, is they waited for, you know, People would come by him, people come out give moms, but it was it was the right time for that man to get healed. It was the, it was the right time for her to be waiting to be overturned. And uh, you know, that was and then the Lord was just saying, this is you know, this is a, a Kairos moment in the church, which means uh, you have chronological linear time, which you know things are happening in sequential order time, which means it's, it's an opportunity or and that word Kairos actually can mean it can be implied that things are coming to a head. Things are like it's like harvest time, it's time for the fruit. And, and obviously the fruit of many, many years of prayer came to a head on Friday. And like you know we were <clears throat> so we rejoiced that. And at the same time when I when I heard the news I was uh, I was happy to hear the news, and at the same time, I was like, "This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning." It wasn't like any sense of like we've won won the war or anything like that. There's um, all they've done is they've turned it back over to the states, which is where it should have been, and we get in front, anyways. And so, praying for um, for states, praying for governments to to choose life, praying. For Praying for people to choose life. And ultimately, the heart of God is for people to be ruled in their inwardly. What does he say about the new covenant in Ezekiel? He says, I will write my law upon their hearts. I will put my spirit within them and cause it to obey me. So ultimately, God's desire is that it can be back like the Garden of Eden where the only rule is don't think you know better than me. And you can self-govern because you're walking with God. Like that's God's desire. And so God had to make, He had to put these laws in place to help steer us back to the garden. And so in view of that, I want to talk about what's called the Great Rebellion in some translations, but it's out of second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
says, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless, and it's talking about the return of the Lord that day, unless the rebellion comes first. Some translations say the apostasy. And the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. That's the Antichrist. And so, the apostasy is traditionally been described as, as a time of deception and great falling away, but it's actually comes from this Greek word that means a political war. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so it's not just sinfulness and backsliding, but it's governments actually kind of revolting against the word of God. And we've seen that. It's already happening across the world. It's not just the United States that's doing that. And so it can remain it can mean rebellion and then the uh, the male uh, gender in this word means divorce. So you, you can look at I think even C.S. Lewis might have a book called The Great Divorce. I don't know if that's what it's talking about. But, it's, but essentially it's called, you know, you can call it the great divorce of God. We don't need you. You're not our husband. We're fine by ourselves. And that essentially is what the rebellion is. And so it started, you know, in the, in the 60s. There's a large scale rebellion against traditional values and, and morals that were not just the traditional values, but the traditional Christian values. Um, and granted, we're not looking at all the previous generations as perfect generations. We're not looking at, as, at the 50s and the 40s and all this kind of stuff. It's like, that's what we're, you know, that's not heaven on earth. It was, but there was a, a very large. It's like Billy Graham said this, he's, you know, when he was doing, he's been doing, he was doing crusades in the 40s all the way through the 90s. And he said early on, the difference is when he was doing this crusade in the early days, he said, you might have a guy who was drinking in, in adultery, but he knew it was sin. But now you have people getting drunk in adultery, they don't think it's sin. And so that's that's the biggest shift in the culture has been there's there's not a general sense of morality that people kind of know. And whether they choose to obey or not, or, you know, coincide with it is, is a different matter. But, and that's what's that's the big shift that, that took place in the culture. And so the moral standards are not only the challenge, but they've been replaced by a non-standard. And so the boundary, there's there's no boundary lines anymore. And uh now when the, I remember the heaviest I felt on like a day like Friday when the government ruled something was when the Supreme Court ruled in favor of homosexual marriage back in June and it was like 2015. That was, I, I felt that like literally a weight come on me that day because I knew but once that boundary line is removed, you're going to have every other thing pushed past that. And so two weeks later, I'm not kidding. You had a guy trying to marry his dog. I'm not kidding. You had a man trying to marry a man, another man, and two women. And uh, then you had pedophiles that were saying, "Well, I'm attracted to this 14 year old, and they're compliant. Why can't I marry them?" You know. And so the once the boundary lines removed, it, then where is you can't stop. And so 
is the slippery slope. And so the great rebellion seeks to legitimize the mainstream and reverse it, it doesn't matter. And I want to talk about the university and mutiny. Um, there's people who are trapped in perversity and they hate the effects of that sin. They want to get out of it. There's people who want to get out of it. There's people who don't want to get out of it. They're, and so the people that want to get out of it and don't like the effects of sin in their life, that's where God longs to show mercy. He longs to show compassion. He longs to, to forgive. And then there's people who are they're all in on the mutiny. They're all in on rebelling against the ways of God, the laws of God. And so there are those who are not looking for mercy, but they're looking for mutiny against the rule of God. And then in their view, freedom itself is the God within America. With self-indulgence not far behind. So there's not really any freedom apart from being a slave to Christ. I heard Miles Monroe say that one time like on TV. When I was when I was in the boat, I never turned it on TV in, but he was preaching. How many of y'all know Miles Monroe was making preach? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he was, I loved him. And he uh, he said, I was walking around the TV and I heard him say, to be truly free, you must be a slave to Christ. And it like it was like this sordid spirit that like, went to my heart. I was like, that, that's the truth. That's the truth. But I wasn't ready to do that. I didn't want to be a slave to Christ. I wanted I wanted to be a slave to Travis, you know, and and so it took me a couple years after that to finally come to that place. So we go back Haggai chapter 2, verse 7 says, I will shake all the nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And so the God of heaven, who's called the desire of the nations, he desires the nations. The desire of the nations desires the nations. He longs to show mercy to the nations. And so, in, in, in view of that, even as we see like nations like America, like other nations across the world, rebelling God in many ways, God is asking us to stand in the gap and to pray for nations, to pray for our nation. Not just to condemn the nation, but like God have mercy. Now we plead the blood of Jesus over the sins of our nation. And uh, because 61, you know, the blood of 61 million babies cries out, but there's a blood that's even greater than that that cries out mercy. On behalf of that, it's the blood, it's the blood of Jesus. And so the same divine word that warns us of a great rebellion that's to come is. I believe we're already kind of at the beginning of assures us that ultimately God's kingdom will crush the demonic influences in our world. And so we're looking, what we're looking at is mature rebellion and mature Christ-likeness. So either evil is going to mature into full rebellion, but Christ-likeness is also going to fully mature. And so you have the wheat and the tares, and even with the road being way thing, to me, you know, you it's that parable that Jesus talks about the wheat and the tares. They're, they're all planted in together, but what's happening is the 
harvest approaches closer and closer, the wheat and tares are being separated. And so even this Roe v. Wade decision is um, is separating wheat and tares. And so a lot of it can, it can look like polarization in, in, in terms of evil and good. Now when we deal, when we are in relationship with people and we're, we're talking with them, it's like we don't compromise on what the Bible calls evil and the Bible calls good, but there's there's a place to have conversations to see, to, to listen to somebody, even if they're wrong. And then we can speak into the life. And so if somebody, you know, it's like I got clients, uh, I had a client who was talking to me about uh, abortion one time years ago. And he was like, well, he's like, why does, you know, what if a woman gets raped? And he said, God, God calls that pregnancy. And, he, did he approve of the way he was going to put it? I said, no. I said, God didn't um, approve of the rape. I said, there, there's things that, that there's laws that God has put forth that apply to everybody. So you take a, you take a Muslim, a Jew, and a Christian, and they all jump off a 5,000 foot cliff, law of gravity is going to them all, the, the, the Christian might actually float out there. <laughs> but, you know, in general, I'm just saying, like, it's, they're, gonna, they're all under the law of gravity. So when sperm hits an egg, it gets fertilized. It's like the way God, it's like the created order effect. And God, there's also, God's not controlling, and this is the issue that this guy's got, that I tried to talk to him about, but. I said, there's other wills in the world. You got God's will, you got your will, you got devil's will. And you're trying to do what you want, the devil's trying to do what he wants. And God is going to do what he wants, and it's good for you and I that we get in and know what he's doing. And so, but what's, you know, as this, as the rebellion matures, the kingdom of God is going to become more and more parents and become more and more exposed. The kingdom of God and the church is going to be, become more and more radiant and glorious. So we go to Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their robes off of us. And so, the nations are raging. Peoples, and the Lord says, all the plotting, all the scheming, all the planning, you know, whatever you believe about that, that's going on in the world, whether true or not, it says they plot that. It says it quite right. I have my opinions about all that, but what I think is true. But the but the the end promise of that is like it's going to be in vain. It's going to backfire. The sword of the enemy pierces his own heart. And so the kings of the earth they take their stand and conspire against the Lord. And you have this this railing against God that does not go unnoticed in heaven. God does not fear 
all the recent developments that and all the injustices that are happening in the world. And, and so you have uh, this rebellion is manifesting stronger and stronger. And so like you have there's this uh, for example in the news there's a guy there's a gay comedian named uh, Billy Eichner but right after a movie wait, he said get your fictional hateful Bible stories and your fictional religious BS out of our effing lives so that's the, the venom that like comes from like this that's you talk about throwing the ropes of God off of you. That's what they're doing. Another guy, Michael Rappaport, who's an actor, he said, all these sick fake evangelists and right-wing kooks, kooks, pro-life freaks, dudes that are excited about what happened with early way. Act like they don't get women pregnant on accident, like they don't get com right comments and one-night stands. You'll regret it. And all you women. Evangelists, right wing freaks, like you can't be, like you can't be raped, like your daughters can't be raped, molested, like you can't get pregnant and be like, oh, F, I don't want to have a baby with this F guy. I don't want to have a baby in gender. You'll learn, you'll reap what you sow, you Fs. You reap what you sow because when that baby is in you and you don't want to have it, or you have a girl that has a baby that you don't want to have, you reap what you sow, you sick Fs. Now, I'm saying this, the only reason. I'm bringing this up, it's not so we can judge these folks. If when we read that, something is our, our response is that the Lord have mercy. But they do not know what they're doing. They do not know what they're doing. If Jesus were to stand before them, they would get their knees immediately and begin to repent. repent. Because they would see the king. That's that is everybody, it would be everybody's reaction when they see Jesus. So I was telling Josiah. The other day, another celebrity came out about this thing, how cool it was that Ruby Wade was overturned. And I was like, that's one of the more ironic things I've heard. That it's cruel that Ruby Wade got overturned. But I was telling Josiah, I said, when you're, I said, Josiah, when you're just, tell me the definition of deception. He's like, you're tricked. I was like, exactly. I said, if I told you, hey, walk towards me, and I made like a pit for you to fall into that you couldn't see. I just tricked you into falling into a pit. And that's the nature of deception. If you don't know you're deceived, I said, but, but the way deception gets rooted in you is you, the first thing that has to happen is you don't think you think you don't need God. You don't fear the Lord. And when I said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you have to fear the Lord first. You have to care what God thinks about things. If you don't care what God thinks, that this is going to happen. It can happen to anybody. These two, I'm not special. You're not special. This person's not special. They didn't fear the Lord. And maybe they, you know, weren't raised like These people don't fear the Lord. And so, like, how would you talk to somebody like this with full of venom? How do you love your enemies? That's the question, right? How do you love your enemies that are skewed venom about you? They're going to call you a big. I'll call you all the, you know, you're a freak, you're a kooky. You know, I can't wait for this, you know, for you to read what you said, all these types of things. How do you love your enemies? That's the question that we're going to face as we move ahead. Verses 4 through 5 says, The, the one in front of the head laughs, the Lord ridicules him. 
Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. And so the Lord laughs at the foolishness of those who are vulnerable. And they, and he laughs at the foolishness that they think that God's judgments are not going not to reach them. Everybody comes before the judgment seat of Christ. And as a Christian, covered in the beloved of Jesus, when we approach judgment day, it's reward day. It's what were, were you faithful with whatever talents I gave you? Here's your reward. Because we're covered in the blood of Jesus. But for other people, it's, it's the dishing out of the punishment. And so the Lord requires that we not only live without fear, but stand in prayer for the very nations that defy him, like I said earlier. And then we go on to verses 7 through 12. I will declare the Lord's decree. He says to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. So the Bible is telling us right here in verse 7 to declare, to declare this over yourself. You are my, it's talking about Jesus. David's also speaking. And so I, this morning I woke up at 4 o'clock a.m. this morning. I couldn't go back to bed. And this was the thing that the Lord spoke to me about. He says, you need to say this over yourself. I'm your Lord. You are, I am your son. And you are my father. I am your son. You are my father. Maybe you've said that before. Maybe you know that. But I think it's important that, you, that we speak it out in faith. So I want you, if you're a woman, say, I'm your daughter. Son, say, I'm your son. You're my father. Just tell the Lord that right now. Just speak that to the Lord. And this is going to be important as the nations rage and people's platform for you to know that. For that, for you to operate out of that place. Because when you know that God is your father, you can't be threatened. You can't be threatened. Because you're not afraid of death. You're not afraid of your possessions being stolen. You're not afraid of anything. Because God is your father. It's like when David Hogan, who has miracle signs and wonders following everywhere, he says the most simple things that you've heard a thousand times. But when he says them, you're like, he actually believes it. So he'll walk around and he'll say, Jesus is king. And when he says it, you're like, he, he like believes that. He lives like that, like Jesus is king. He's not afraid of anything. Like, you know, and, and so, and I remember Fernando has the same kind of thing in his life. We were in a house church meeting 12 years ago with him. And he says, he says, brothers and sisters, we just need you to believe. He said it like that. And I was like, yeah, guys, that's all we need to do. <laughs> We just need to believe. Come on, let's go. Yeah, and so but when, when he said it, it was like a revelation bomb. Hit off. You know, even though I've heard that a thousand times, you know, you live by faith, not by sight, blah, blah, blah. And he went with friends and said, We just need to believe. That's it, that's it. And we just figured out how to walk with God. And so, uh, so verse 8 says, Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. 
You will break them with an iron scepter, you will shatter them by pottery. So now, kings, be wise, receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, he will be angry, he will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. So Francis Franklin has this quote. He says, it's Christ's church. We do not deserve a national revival, but Jesus does. Jesus deserves to receive the reward of his suffering. The Bible says that the Lord's portion is his people. The reward of Jesus is all those that he's purchased with his own blood coming to the Father. That's his reward. And so we, when we think about revival, we need it, obviously. But think of it from Jesus' perspective. Like, you deserve, may, may the Lamb of God receive the reward of the suffering. So as we venture into the, you know, the days ahead, the years ahead, one of the things that we need to repent of is, is fret. And I'll confess, you know, the Lord, um, this was two or three weeks ago, you know, as gas prices have been going up, uh, you know, I, I work in a business that is disposable income business. You don't need personal training to survive. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm thinking about these things and I was like starting to get a little heavy with it. And, and the Holy Spirit was just very clear. He says, don't worry about your life. <laughs> don't worry about your life. And I went back and I, and I knew the scripture you were talking about. I went back and, and read it. It's like, see these lilies in the field? They're clothed in more splendor than even Solomon was. They don't toil and they don't sew clothes together to try to clothe themselves. So they don't toil and they don't spin. And that word spin is like your spinning wheel, like you're selling clothes. So they don't toil, they don't work, they don't spin. And they're clothed greater, with greater splendor than Solomon. You can't have one day in your life by wearing. Like, don't worry about your life, son. Don't worry about your life. And it's that's why it's important for you to, to know the voice of the Lord. Jessica and I were talking about this morning. As you can you can know the word of God and the voice of God is never gonna contradict his word. But there's things that the Lord quickens into your spirit that gives you life. Like that's it gives you strength, it fortifies you on the inside. And so when the Lord's like, son, don't worry about your life, it's like, you're right, you're right, Dad. <laughs> I don't know what I was saying. You got the wisdom. Thank you, thank you. And so it's important to be listening to what the Lord is saying and quickening it to your heart. But we need to just repent of fretting. We don't need to, we need to put away fear and discouragement. And as the fullness of time unfolds as the world is clothed in prophetic fulfillment. We need to put away in unbelief. We need to repent and withdraw to Jason's point. And so now it's time to support pregnancy centers. 
to support folks who care like that before, to be, to open ourselves up. Lord, do you want to use us for that? We want to ask the Lord those questions. How do we, how do we support life in, in all of its forms? Now I have this prayer. So, once you stand up with me. I want, us, I want us to repent of fretting and repent of unbelief. And, uh, and then we want to say this prayer at the end together. Now, Julia, we're going on with Just any fretting, you know, like I said, it can be like something that may seem small, but the small things can get the hook in you and can turn into big things. You know? So, like I said, we got a new driver in the family. He drives a truck, doesn't get the same gas mileage as the previous. I'm thinking about bills, you know, and, and uh, the Lord's just like, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. Unbelief, Lord, are you really going to do, are you really going to turn the world on, on its head again? Are you really going to unify your bride and send revival to your church? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And the greatest darkness in Isaiah 60 says, Arise and shine, let your light come. Let your light come. And I recently got this uh, t shirt that says, The Rise and the Shine. It's like a workout shirt. But, but I was like, I like, I want the message, you know, the rise, it's time to rise and shine. So I just want you to. If you've been if you've had to deal with that like I have, where I let you know that worry creep in, then just just take this time to you and the Lord and just repent to the Lord. And I'm doing it just playing the guitar. But just you and the Lord repent to him for wor- for worrying, for fretting, letting any kind of fear come in. 